0: Hi everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two golden age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed free you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories.
1: Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We, we offer you. you...
2: Escape! 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 designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure.
1: Tonight we escape to an early California gold camp and an exciting tale of frontier revenge, as Les Crutchfield tells it in his colorful story, The Pistol. San Francisco Bay was a graveyard that summer, with over 300 deserted windjammers lying at anchor, and the city itself the next step to a ghost town. Every man who could walk, run, or stagger had headed inland to look for gold, and the women had followed. Mostly they traveled up the river as far as Sacramento, then fanned out into the hills. That was the jumping off place, Sacramento.
3: Boys, move up close. Everybody sees and everybody gets a chance. Any time old Honest Faraday runs an auction, you know it's on the level. All right now, friends, the pistol I'm holding in my hand here is the first one of its kind ever seen west of the Rockies. The first model of Dr. Samuel Coates, new .44 caliber six-shooter. The gun that fires six times without reloading. Now, who'll open her up with a bit of $250? Did you hear me, $250? Come on, boys. There's plenty of gold on the Sacramento River but only one Colt 6 shooter. Now, did I hear a bid of, say, $250? Thank you, sir. The man says $250. All right, here we I go. I stood there
1: and in the, the hot sun on the Sacramento waterfront and watched the crowd bidding for the pistol. Roustabouts, gamblers, vaqueros, gold miners, men from everywhere and from nowhere, and a few women. I wanted that gun myself. I wanted it bad. I was taking a stagecoach to Rawhide Flats in the morning where my brother Dave and his partner had located a rich claim. And I didn't plan to load myself down with an outfit, but a gun was different. I was packing a $1,000 in gold eagles, and I was ready to lay out a good part of it to get that six-shooter. The bidding reached $500. All right, anybody else?
3: Anybody making it dollars Five and a quarter, five and a quarter. Anybody else? All right, going once. Going twice. Six hundred dollars. Six hundred dollars and a new bidder. I have six hundred dollars. Gentlemen, here bid six hundred. Will anybody make it six and a quarter? Six and a quarter. Only six. Seven hundred dollars and another new bidder. And the little lady knows a bargain when she sees one. All right, I'm bid seven hundred. Seven, seven, seven. Will anybody make it eight? How about you, Mister? Follow the bid six. Would you want to raise it again, sir?
1: Sorry, Mister. Six was my limit. Let her have it.
3: All right. Anybody else? Going once. Going twice. Sold. Lady, you bought yourself a gun. You. Our friends of you, step right over here. here
4: the, end of the platform, I've oh, Could I get through? Pardon me, please. Well,
1: congratulations.
4: What? Oh, <laughs> you should have kept on bidding.
1: Why? You'd have gone to $1,000 if you had to.
4: Yes, I suppose I would. I guess it just isn't your lucky day.
1: Oh, I don't know. Haven't I just met the prettiest girl in California? Have you? Haven't I?
4: Maybe that's not as lucky as you think. <laughs>
1: When I climbed on board the stagecoach to Rawhide Flats the next morning, I found seven trunks had already been loaded, five tied on the back and top and two inside. And a few minutes later, their owner showed up. Oh, it was the red-headed gal who bought the gun the afternoon before. It took five miles out of Sacramento to break the ice. And after that... Well, I learned her name was Teresa Blake. She'd been down to San Francisco to buy some new clothes. And she was on her way back to Rawhide Flats.
4: No. No, I don't live with my folks. I don't have any folks. I I work.
1: Oh? Doing what?
4: I'm a singer. The Brass Nugget Saloon.
1: I see. I wonder you wanted a gun so bad.
4: No, I never have any trouble there. I got the pistol as a present for my boss, Mr. Mallory.
1: $700 makes a pretty expensive present, Miss Blake.
4: He's been good to me. Awfully good.
1: I see. Well, anyway, it's a great gun. <laughs> In 15 years, every man west of St. Louis will be packing one.
4: Oh, I was going to give you something. I almost forgot. I sort of consolation prize for losing out on the gun. I... Oh, here it is.
1: Yeah, it looks like a little gold nugget.
4: Brass, not gold to hang on a watch chain, souvenir of the Brass Nugget Saloon. Of course, you can pretend it's real gold, if you like.
1: All right, I will then. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's not what my young brother's doing on the Boston pocket claim of his. I mean, pretending it's real.
4: The Boston pocket claim?
1: Uh-huh.
4: You said your name was Storm.
1: That's right. Jonathan Storm.
4: I didn't even recognize it until... Then you're Dave Storm's brother.
1: Yeah. Do You know him?
4: Yes. Yes, I... Mr Storm, I wonder if you'd mind if I tried to get some sleep now. I'm I'm really awfully tired.
1: Around the middle of the afternoon, our stagecoach dropped out of the rough hills we've been travelling through, ran down into a comparatively level gulf, splashed across the ford in the creek below town, and swung into the wagon rutted main street of Rawhide Flats. It was like every other boom town I'd seen. A mixture of mud, shacks, board-fronted stores, bars, rooming houses, stables, horses, burrows, and men. Men everywhere. Milling and shoving along the plank walks and out into the street. Noisy, brawling, bearded, and tough. Rawhide flats. Half hour later, I rented a horse and rode up through the canyon north of town. Both banks of the creek were lined with miners busy with picks and shovels, pans and rockers, all of them breaking their backs, sweating out their hearts for the same reason, gold. About three miles up, I turned into the side canyon the man at the livery stable had told me about, and a few yards in, I found it blocked off by a six-foot rail
3: fence. All right, mister, that's far enough. Yeah? Afraid I might jump that fence? Don't get smart. Just turn that horse around and head out the same way you came in.
1: Why? I just got here. Is this the Boston pocket
3: claim? That's right. You're as close to it right now as you're going to be. Go on, get
1: Now look, suppose you put that rifle away before it goes off and hurts somebody, huh? And go tell the owner his brother's here.
3: Barton Mallory's got no brother. Now get out.
1: Mallory? The way I heard it, Dave Storm is the owner of this claim.
3: Storm? Are you Storm's brother? That's right. Is he around here? Get out of here, storm. Boot that horse and ride. Do you hear me? He's the last one you're gonna get. So start riding.
1: All right, Mister. I never argue with anybody who's packing a rifle, unless I've got one too. And maybe the next time I will have. Come on, boy, get up!
4: Storm, what are you doing here? How did you find my room?
1: I asked one of the bartenders over at the Brass Nugget. Mind if I come in, Miss Blake?
4: Of course I mind. Why, if Bart... If Mr. Mallory found you here, he'd...
1: He'd what? You only work for him. He doesn't own you, does he?
4: That's no concern of yours. You're presuming a good deal simply because we rode in the same stagecoach. Now, get out.
1: Uh, Miss Blake, I didn't come here with any presumption in mind. All I'm after is some information about my brother Dave. Where is he?
4: I I don't know anything about him.
1: You brought his name up yourself during the trip this morning.
4: I have nothing to say. Will you please leave?
1: What's this about Bart Mallory owning Dave's Boston pocket claim?
4: I know nothing about it.
1: Dave's partner's called Dan Rivers. Do you know him? Get out. All right, Miss Blake. I'll find him. And it's nice to have seen you again.
4: Look. If you want some good advice, leave town right now and don't ask any more questions. Why not? Never mind why not, Mr. Storm. Just get out of town fast.
1: Thanks for the advice, Miss Blake. I'll decide whether it's good or not after I talk to my brother and his partner. Now look, Dan, you're Dave's partner, so let's have it straight. Why does everybody shut up like a clam when I mention his name? What's this all about? Where's Dave anyway?
5: Jonathan, I... I wish somebody else had told you.
1: Told me what?
5: That David is dead. Dead? That's right, Jonathan. He was... He was...
1: Go on, Dan. What happened?
5: He was shot in the back. We found him lying in the street in the north edge of town one morning a couple of weeks ago.
1: I see. Who did it?
5: You want the official story? Yeah, first. They say Dave dropped into the Brass Nugget Saloon late that night and sold the Boston pocket claim to Bart Mallory. Took $12,000 in gold certificates for it. And they say that's how come he was murdered and robbed after he left the Nugget. Has Mallory got a deed, a bill of sale? Yeah, he's got one all right with Dave's name on it.
1: How come Dave could sell the claim out from under you even if he wanted to I thought the two of you were partners.
5: We were, but we recorded the whole claim in Dave's name. And that way, only one of us had to make the trip to Sacramento.
1: All right, all right. That's the official story. Let's have the other one.
5: Dave wouldn't have sold out to Mallory for any amount of money. Mallory had been after him for weeks, but Dave and me both knew we had the best claim in Rawhide Flat. So? Some of his gunslingers bushwhacked Dave. Mallory turned up with his phony deed the next day. Everybody in town knows it, but nobody dares to say so. Mm -hmm.
1: I suppose it's like every other boom camp No law here yet, huh?
5: Only what law a man can make for himself
1: In that case, I guess i better make a little To fit this bot, Mallory
5: Uh, Maybe you don't know exactly what you're tying into, son Why, he's got half a dozen or more of The toughest boys in California on his payroll
1: We'll find out how tough they are
5: Don't count much on me I'm an old man
1: All right, Dan So they're not the best odds in the world can't be helped. You play with the cards you got.
5: Dave used to tell me you were the coldest man he ever seen when it come to trouble. <laughs> I think maybe he was right. Well,
1: first thing I need a gun. With odds the way they are, I guess I better have a six shooter.
5: Bridge out of luck, Jonathan. I've heard of them, but you won't find one here in Rawhide.
1: Oh, there's one here, all right. Fella got it just today fellow named Mallory.
5: Mallory? Uh, Now wait a minute. Now look, Dan.
1: I taught a lot of my brother. And I don't like the way he was killed. I need that gun of Mallory's. I'm gonna get it. And then I'm gonna use it to get Mallory. That's the way it's gonna be, Dan. You can
5: count on it.
2: In just a moment, we will return you to the second act of Escape. But first, another Wednesday night, Star Night coming up on CBS again tomorrow. The young fellow who made good on the Bing Crosby show last week will be back again for more songs and fun-making. The young fellow named Al Jolson, who Bing thinks is quite promising. Burns and Allen will be around again with more of their madcap humor, and Groucho Marx will be throwing the ad-libs fast and furiously on You Bet Your Life. And Dr. Christian, the only show in radio where the audience writes the scripts, will be announcing a great new prize contest. They're all heard on most of these same CBS stations. So tune in tomorrow night for Dr. Christian, Groucho Marx, Bing Crosby, and Burns and Allen. And now we return you to... ESCAPE!
1: I stepped inside the swinging doors of the Brass Nugget Saloon and looked things over. Finally, I had the bartender point out Mallory. He was sitting at a table in the back near the offices, playing poker with three other men. The two boys lounging against the wall behind him were obviously his bodyguards. I pushed my hat back on my head and walked toward the table.
6: Well, there you are, boys. Four tens. I guess that ought to do it. Sorry to butt in, but, uh, is your name
1: Barton Mallory? Yeah, that's right. Something I can do for you? My name is Storm. Jonathan Storm. This is the one I told you about, boss. Oh. You probably knew my brother.
6: Oh, yes. David Storm, sure. He used to come in here. So I heard. You got anything special in your mind? Yeah.
1: I need a gun. I understand you got a new six-shooter. I'm sorry it's not for sale. I didn't say anything about buying it. I'll bet a $1,000 against that gun on a cut for high-card. What do you say?
6: Sorry, Storm, the gun's out of it. Name something else. No,
1: I want the gun. What's the matter, Mallory? The boys told me you'd bet on anything in the house if the
6: odds were right. Yeah, that's right, I will. But the gun's a gift from a friend. Maybe you figure your luck's about to run out. Would that be it? All right, I'll take the bet, Benny. Break out a new deck. Yeah. Hey, uh, well, there's the gun. Let's see a thousand. Sure. Mind if I shuffle? No, no, no. go ahead. Uh, maybe I should have warned
1: you, Mallory. I got a feeling this is my lucky night. I'll take a chance it isn't. Mm. By the way, you wouldn't happen to have any idea who shot my brother in the back, would you, Mallory?
6: No, I'm afraid not. The killer hasn't been identified yet.
1: It's too bad. Maybe I'll have to identify him myself. You're cut, Mallory. All right. Ten of clubs, eh? Go ahead, Storm. Jack of diamonds. Thanks for the gun. Oh, it's already loaded too. Well, I think I'll be. Right,
4: I've been looking all over the place, and I can't find. Oh. Uh...
1: Good evening, Miss Blake.
4: How do you do, Mr. Stone? I'm sorry if I'm interrupting.
1: No, no, no. I'm glad you came. Gives me an idea. Mallory, how'd you like another chance at my $1,000? What's the bet? High card again. $1,000 against a kiss from Miss Blake. What? Of course, maybe you don't have any say over her, huh?
6: Anyway, the the bet's on. You want to shuffle again?
1: No, no, no. Go ahead, cut. Queen of spades, you'll find that pretty hard to beat. Yeah, I guess you're right. Ace of hearts does it, though. <laughs> My lucky night, Mallory. Well, Miss Blake, I guess you're... Don't
4: you dare.
1: I'm afraid you don't have much choice about it, honey. I won this from your boss.
4: You.
6: You. <laughs> 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 it's too bad, Storm. Looks as if the lady doesn't like your brand. No, I guess
1: not. I didn't expect her to be the one to have to tell me, though, Mallory. I kind of thought that you might resent that, might want to do something about it.
6: Why? That's what she's here for. It's her job. She gets paid to take care of the customers. Why should I worry about a cheap little... Watch your
1: talk! uh, uh. Hold it, boys, you're covered. All right, Mallory, you better get up off the floor and call off those dogs of yours. If either one moves, I'll kill him.
6: All All right, all right, all right, boys. You can drop it. Storm, that was a pretty bad mistake you just made. I don't forget things. I think maybe this was your last lucky night. I'll make that a bet if you want. All right, boys, come on, let's go.
1: Mallory and his gunman went into the office and didn't come back. Finally, after about an hour, I walked out of the brass nugget and bumped square into a middle-aged woman who'd been waiting for me just outside. She said Teresa wanted to see me right away in her room.
4: You can put that gun away, Mr. Storm. I'm here alone. This isn't a trap. Then what is it? I want to know why you made that bet. I mean, about kissing me.
1: Suppose we just say I wanted to. Let it go at that.
4: You're afraid, aren't you? You're afraid not to be tough.
1: Is that why you asked me to come here to tell me that?
4: Well, don't you suppose a girl can... can have feeling left? That she can be sorry for things? Meet somebody, maybe?
1: Go ahead, honey. You're doing fine. What do you mean? I mean I'm halfway ready to believe that. A little more of it, and I would believe it. And if I had any sense, I'd know better.
4: I see. And that's the way you feel about it.
1: It's a start, isn't it?
4: This is the first time I have... Oh, it's a use. Try it and find out. Get out. You don't understand anything. Go on. Get out. Get out. Get out.
5: I'm telling you, son, it's a worse mistake you could have made. Knocking him down like you did last night, why, he won't think of nothing else. Not until he's killed you.
1: People have tried that before, Dan. I'm still here. But you
5: haven't got a chance. His gun will be watching like hawks for the first second you're not covered.
1: The whole town isn't on Mallory's payroll. I've got an idea. A lot of people around here might like to see him shown up. Provided somebody else called the play.
5: Eh, maybe so, but still he's half a dozen of his gunslingers to deal with.
1: I don't think so, Dan. If their boss is knocked over, they'll drift. I've seen hired guns before. Odds are against you, son. Well, I feel lucky. It's worth a chance to get Mallory. Not only for killing Dave, but because of what he's doing to Teresa Blake.
5: Teresa Blake?
1: Yeah, I kind of think she'd be a pretty decent kid if it weren't for him.
5: Yes, Jonathan. That's what your brother Dave thought. What? He was crazy about her, too. Hung around the brass nugget every night. She kept leading him on. I guess that fitted in with Mallory's plans. Yeah.
1: I guess it did. I guess it still does. What do you mean, son? Nothing, Dan, when you come right down to it. I guess when a when a man turns soft, it always starts with his head.
5: Uh, I'm sorry, Jonathan. I, I didn't know you felt that way about it. Oh,
1: it's all right. I'm glad you told me. Well, I found out in time. And now that I have, I think I can use Miss Blake.
4: Why did you come here? What do you want?
1: A short talk, honey. I don't want Mallory to see us.
4: You've got to leave town. Leave now and don't come back, please.
1: How much do you get for this, honey? I mean talking me into leaving town and getting me out of Mallory's way. You
4: fool. Oh, you fool. He doesn't mean a thing to me. It's you, don't you know that? I'll go with you if you'll only leave tonight. I'll go with you right now, please.
1: No. I've gone too far now to turn back. I've got to finish it up.
4: It's not too far yet, but it will be. Maybe you'll want to turn back then, only it'll be too late.
1: A few hours from now, it'll all be done. And then maybe we can think about some other things. If you still want to.
4: Want to? Of course I'll want to, Johnny.
1: Johnny... Nobody's called me that for a long time. Terry, I want you to do something for me.
4: Anything, Johnny, anything.
1: Do you think you can get that deed to my brother's claim from Mallory's Strongbox and give it to me?
4: I think so. Yes, of course I can. He trusts me enough.
1: Yeah, I'll bet he does. How long will it take?
4: Give me an hour. All right. Johnny, would, would... Would you kiss me
1: first? Sure, Terry. Oh, Johnny. That was better than the one I, I risked $1,000 for.
4: Nobody could buy that for $1,000. Nobody ever has. Come back here to my room in an hour, Johnny. I'll have the deed.
1: I followed her into town, staying behind her in the darkness. And from the opposite side of the street... I watched her walk into the swinging doors of the Brass Nugget. Then I, I slipped into the shadows between two tar paper shacks and waited. It was a half hour before they came out of the saloon and headed down the street toward Teresa Blake's room and house. All six of Mallory's gunslingers. He wasn't taking any chances. Terry had double crossed me after all, just the same as she double crossed my brother. And that was fine with me because I was ready for it. I walked into the brass nugget and down the hallway at the far end of the bar. I eased the six shooter into my hand and stopped in front of the door to Mallory's office. Evening, Mallory. Stop. I
6: thought... Well, it's was quite a surprise. Yeah,
1: I imagine. Keep your hands on the desk. Why, well, sure, sure, Storm. I, I don't have a gun anyway. Watch
4: him, Johnny. He's lying. He carries one in on his sleeve. You
1: dirty little rat. Well, I didn't see you there in the corner, Miss Blake. Thought you might be down the street waiting to watch the fireworks.
4: They made me tell, Johnny. One of the boys followed me and saw us together. When I came back here, they made me tell. They hit me. Look. That
1: must be real painful. Almost as bad as being shot in the back like Dave was. Oh,
4: I didn't know what they were planning. I didn't know Bob was going to kill him. Johnny, I swear I... Didn't...
1: Drop it. Mallory, you got a forged bill of sale there in your strong box. I
6: want it. Sorry, Storm, you're out of luck. I won't open the box and you can't. What makes you figure you're in a position to argue about it? Why not? Because you've got a gun on me? You wouldn't shoot an unarmed man, Storm.
1: What about that gun in your sleeve? I'm not drawing I see. All right, Miss Blake, get out of here.
4: Johnny, what, what are you... I
1: said get out. And don't bother going after the boys. There won't be time. Johnny! Get out! So you won't draw Mallory, huh? You're going to play it safe. Uh, i would be crazy to do anything else. Maybe. The only way out of this room is through the door behind me. I noticed that kerosene lamp has a glass bowl on it. It ought to start a nice fire if I picked it up and smashed it against the wall.
7: Storm! Storm, you fool! What
1: about it, Mallory? My gun's in the holster. Want to stay there and burn or draw and try to get out? This place will go up like a tinderbox. Take your choice, Mallory. Draw or burn? Storm! Storm, you can't leave me in here like this. Draw or burn! All right, then, if you... Tough luck, Mallory. <laughs> that's for Dave. And that's for me. All right, hold it a second, hold it! You better clear out of here fast. The place is on fire. And anybody that works for Bart Mallory is out of a
5: job. He's dead! Jonathan, son, are you all right? You're not hurt?
1: No, I'm all right, Dan. Come on, let's get out of here. Sure,
5: come on, son.
1: Mallory's dead. I guess that takes care of it, Dan. Uh,
5: Jonathan, you're the luckiest man alive.
1: Yeah, sure. Somebody might go down to Jackson's Roaming house. Tell those bushwhackers of Mallory's they can hit the trail north. The boss is dead. The boss is dead. This ought to be far enough, Dan. Look. Look, the fire's breaking through to the roof. It won't be long now.
4: Oh, Johnny. Johnny. Johnny, are you all right?
1: Sure I'm all right. What of it, Miss Blake?
4: Thank heaven. Oh, Johnny, if anything had happened to you, I couldn't have gone on.
1: Miss Blake, I... I've got something for you. It's a nugget. Some people might figure it's real gold. But actually, it's only Brass. There you are. Pick it up. And then get going. What
4: What do you mean, Johnny?
1: I mean you better catch up with the boys. They'll be heading north.
4: But you said that we... Drop it.
1: Oh, yes. Here's something else you can have, too.
4: Your six-shooter? No,
1: no, no. It's yours. You bought and paid for it. It's got one shot left. Use it any way you want to. Only get out. Beat it.
4: Johnny. You're wrong, you know. You're wrong about a lot of things. But what's the use?
1: That's right. What's
5: the use? Bye, Johnny. Son, you had not to give her that pistol. That was your luck, you might call it.
1: I think my luck's all run out, Dan. Claim is all yours. I'm leaving in the morning, heading south.
5: Why, son, there's nothing south of here.
1: Yeah, but it's the surest way I know to keep myself from heading north.
2: Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented The Pistol by Les Crutchfield. Featured in the cast were Gerald Moore as Jonathan Storm, Betty Lou Gerson as Terry Blake, Charlie McGraw as Bart Mallory, and Will Gere as Dan Rivers. Also heard was Eddie Marr. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week.
1: You are in command of an English destroyer sailing to join the North Sea Patrol in October 1914. It is midnight. And from the enemy coast comes a desperate signal for help, which you would like to ignore, but from which there is no escape.
2: Next week, we escape with Robert Buckner's exciting and unforgettable tale, The Man Who Won the War. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. (laughs) This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Tired
6: of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? want to get away from it all
2: we offer you escape escape designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure
6: tonight we escape to pre-war paris and the terrifying experience of a young english girl was the victim of a gigantic conspiracy of silence, as Alexander Walcott tells it in his version of the legend, the Vanishing Lady.
8: of tea, Bruce? No,
9: thank you, my dear. I think I'll just have a Johnny Walker and soda and take a look at the evening
8: stamp. I'd like another, please, Mother. Oh, all right, Alice. Uh, uh, only one sugar, dear. We must watch our figures. Oh,
9: nonsense. A growing girl like Alice needs plenty of sugar.
5: See, Mother, Daddy approves.
8: Perhaps, but Mother is still boss. Yes, Mother.
9: <laughs> she certainly is, <laughs> Alice.
8: <laughs> Mother? Yes, dear? I've been thinking. Yes, dear? I've been thinking about my grandparents. Oh? I know all about Daddy's parents. How Grandfather Stanley commanded a dreadnought at the Battle of Jutland, and how... No,
9: it was not a dreadnought, Alice. It was a heavy cruiser.
8: Oh, a heavy cruiser. And he got the VC. And how Grandmother Stanley was a volunteer nurse at Westwall Arch when the Zeppelins came over. And I know about your father, too. And how he died in India from his wounds. And how gallant he was at the Khyber Pass. But Mother... Yes, dear. You never told me anything about Grandmother Winship. I... I haven't. No, and I'd like to know something Bruce. about... and uh, a child's
9: 16. I think it's time she knew. But, Bruce... And you'd probably feel better to get it off your chest.
8: What, Mother? What is it? Well, my dear, I've never talked about your grandmother because... Well, I... I've always half-believed that someday, somehow, she would come down our garden walk and... and <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but explain where she has been for the last 20 years. Why? What happened to her? I don't know. I don't suppose I ever will.
9: Well, now, Cynthia, darling, if it's going to upset you... No, no,
8: no, Bruce, you're quite right. It would be best to get it off my chest, as you put it. Alice, as you know, I was born and brought up in India. I was about your age when my father was killed in the Khyber campaign. Mother decided to leave India for good and return to her old home in Warwickshire. However, it was necessary for her to go to Paris to attend to some details of my father's estate. The Great Paris Exposition had just opened and the city was jammed with visitors from all over the world. You can imagine our relief when we arrived at the Grand Hotel Universal and heard the clerk say in quite understandable English...
10: Ah, madame and mademoiselle Winship. Welcome, welcome. You will please to sign the register here and here.
8: Oh, you have our reservations. Indeed,
10: yes. And you are most fortunate, madame, that you telegraphed, for I have reserved for you the last room in the
8: house. Oh, I'm so relieved. Here, Cynthia, you may as well learn now to sign a register for yourself. Oh, yes, Mama. Where do I write? There, on that line. Oh, yes, I see.
10: Voila. You are fatigued from your journey, yes? I shall have the boy show you to your rooms at once. Chasseur, chasseur.
11: Oui, oui, monsieur.
10: Madame et Mademoiselle Winship are numéro 342 tout de suite. Tout de suite, monsieur. Uh, these are your bagages, madame?
8: Yes, these six. Voilà le bagage, six pièces. Cynthia, you'd best carry the little one with the uh, medicine in it. Uh, yes, maman. Permettez-moi, mademoiselle. Oh, oh the, thank you. I'll take that one, the little red one.
11: Eh bien... Uh, This way, ladies.
8: Keep your eye on that porter, Cynthia. I don't trust these Frenchmen. I don't think he'll make off with our things, Mama. Oh, here's the lift.
11: Uh, dis not Emile. Troisième étage.
8: Troisième. I do wish we could have gone straight on to Southampton, but you'd only have had to come back across the channel to see the solicitor. We'd really save time this way. I suppose, I mean, I wish we hadn't had to come to Paris at all. It's it's such a sinister place. Oh, oh Mama.
11: Voila, voici. Ladies, the right. Three hundred thirty-eight, 340 342 Voila. Entrez, ladies.
8: Oh, what a lovely big group. Oh, look, Mama. French windows. Oh, and the park out there. And that square with the statues on it. The ladies,
11: désire uh, quelque no, chose en plus. H- here. Oh, merci. Uh, thank you, ladies.
8: Oh, Mama, it's like something out of a book. Yes, my dear. That's the trouble with Paris. It's so attractive. But underneath, it's evil. Oh, the furniture, the gilt clock, this lovely marble table. Oh, mamma, everything's so, so, so French. <laughs> Well, I'll be very glad to be on my way to where everything's English by this time tomorrow. Now, come away from that window and help me get into something comfortable there, Zadier. Oh, yes. Yes, Mama. I... I don't know when I've been so tired. I, I just can't seem to catch my Mama! Mama, what's the matter? Mama, speak to me. Oh, here. I'll get you up in the bed. There, there. Now, let me loosen your corset. Here, Mama. Here, here are the smelling salts. Breathe deeply. Mama. Oh, the telephone. I've got to get a doctor. Oh, please hurry. Please. Oh, hello, operator. Will you please send a doctor up to room number. Let me see. Number 342. Pardon? Qu'est-ce que mademoiselle uh, Will you please send a doctor to room, room number 342 Je ne comprends pas. Qu'est-ce que mademoiselle désire A doctor, please, a doctor Ah, oui, un doctor. Oui, mademoiselle, tout de
4: suite.
8: I'm quite sure it was not long, although it seemed like an eternity before the doctor arrived, accompanied by the manager of the hotel. To my great relief, the doctor spoke English. He felt Mother's pulse, took her temperature, did the usual things that doctors do. And then he turned to the tail-coated hotel manager.
11: La jeune femme parle t francais Pas un mot. Vous êtes sûr? Absolument. Alors, je peux parler à mon aise. Monsieur, si c'est une affaire très sérieuse, n'ayez pas l'air frais lorsque je vous mettrai au courant. Cette femme est atteinte de la peste. Elle n'a qu'une heure à vivre. Je n'ai pas besoin de vous dire que si cela se sait...
10: While they
8: talked in this language, I couldn't understand. I looked from one face to the other, trying to read from their expressions how serious my mother's illness was. But they were as casual as though they were ordering dinner. Finally, I could stand it no longer. They must... Oh, please, you... You must tell me... What's the matter with her?
11: Mademoiselle, uh, your mother is ill. Yes, uh, seriously, uh, it is a collapse. Uh, due perhaps to this strain of traveling, however, a week or two of absolute rest a, will work wonders.
4: A week
8: or two? Well, we were to go on to England tomorrow.
11: Oh, 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 that would be out of the question, mademoiselle. She cannot be moved for at least several days. Right now, she must have complete rest. The next 24 hours will be critical.
8: Oh, mamma... Poor Mama.
11: No, 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 Mademoiselle, you must not break down too. Mm. I, I need your help. Oh, yes, yes, of course, Doctor. Immediately, I need some medicine. Uh, will you fetch it for me?
8: Why, yes, but.
11: Uh, malheureusement, I, I must not leave your mother for a moment during these critical hours. Uh, here, uh, I will write down this address and a little message to my wife.
8: Your. Wife?
11: Yes, I have the medicine already prepared at my home. It will be faster to go there for it than to a pharmacy. There are very few chemists who have the ingredients.
8: But uh, couldn't you telephone?
11: Alas, I have no telephone. But Voila. Voila. Here is the address: twenty-four Bis Rue Valgrace. And here is the message to give to my wife. But, uh,
8: doctor, I don't know Paris at all. I- I'm a total stranger here. I'm
11: sure the manager here will give the necessary instructions to the taxi man. But certainly. If mademoiselle is ready.
8: Before I quite knew what was happening, I was seated in a rickety taxicab outside the hotel with the doctor's message clutched in my hand, while the hotel bien, manager comprendre. gave voluble plus, directions to the cab driver. You tel que vous pourrez vous acheter
10: un taxi tout neuf. Maintenant, souvenez-vous, prenez la route la plus longue. Conduisez le plus lentement possible. Sous aucun prétexte. Ne la ramenez pas ici avant deux heures. Compris? Ben oui, je comprends. Bon. It is arranged, mademoiselle. Jacques is one of our most trusted chauffeurs. He will get you to the doctor's house and back in safety.
8: Oh, thank you so much, sir. And, and you'll
10: look after my mother, won't you? But of course. Of that, you may be sure. Allez-y. Entendu. Je suis sur la visse. <coughs>
8: When we left the hotel, we crossed a huge square with statues around it and turned into a wide avenue which led up a gentle incline at the top of which was a huge arch. But before long, we turned off to the right into narrower streets. It must have been 20 minutes later when we turned into another wide boulevard and I saw another huge arch up ahead. Or was it the same arch?
4: Driver? Mademoiselle?
8: Uh, Haven't we... Past that arch before?
7: Regardez, mademoiselle. Voilà l'Arc de Triomphe. Voilà la Tour Eiffel, Oh, uh, please, voilà I, le... I
8: don't want a sightseeing tour. I want to go to this address directly. Don't you understand? Now, please, take me there at once.
7: On fait ce qu'on peut, mademoiselle. Mais soyez tranquille, donc. Elle est bien vieille cette bagnole, <laughs> Mais elle marche... <laughs>
8: At last, we turned into a narrow street and pulled up before a grim, gray house. The blue enameled sign on the wall read number 24 beasts. I jumped out of the cab almost before it stopped, rushed up the three stone steps and pulled at the brass bell knob. Oh, hurry, hurry, hurry. Please, please hurry. Bonjour, mademoiselle. Monsieur le docteur n'est pas là. Uh, The doctor sent me for some medicine. Uh, Here, read this, please. Retenez cette jeune femme aussi longtemps que possible. C'est de la plus grande importance pour l'avenir de Paris et même de la France. Entrez. thank you. vous ne The doctor's wife stood there reading and re the note as though she didn't understand it. And until I thought I would scream. Oh, please, please hurry. Give me the medicine. It's my mother. She may be dying. I, I must get back to her. Please hurry. Asseyez-vous. She pointed to a chair and slowly walked down the hall and closed the door behind her. I waited and waited and wondered about the time the cab had taken to get here, about that arch that looked so familiar. And I was torn by the hundred nameless anxieties that torture you when your nearest and dearest is ill. And then I heard something that froze my blood. A telephone. A telephone clearly ringing somewhere in the house. The doctor had said he had no telephone. That was the reason I must come all this way for the medicine. Oh, no. No, it, it couldn't be in this house. It, it must be next door. Or across the street, of course. That's where the sound was coming from. But no. It was the voice of the doctor's wife answering the phone. Oh, no. No, what monstrous plot was this? I felt my scalp crawl with terror. My brain pondered in my head felt as though it would burst. I wanted to scream. To run out of this awful house, to run all the way across Paris to the bedside of my mother. Voila, mademoiselle. <gasps> la médecine. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Au revoir, mademoiselle. Now, driver, please. Please, in the name of your own mother, hurry. Back to the hotel as fast as possible. Please. <laughs>
2: In just a moment, we continue with the second act of Escape. But first, no, you won't be hearing double. That'll be Groucho Marx appearing on two different CBS shows tomorrow night. First, in his own hilarious ad-lib quiz, You Bet Your Life, and then immediately following as Bing Crosby's guest. Don't miss this great meeting on CBS tomorrow night. And now we return you to... Escape!
8: I pleaded with the taxi driver. I begged him to hurry. I explained to him in tears that my mother was desperately ill. But the taxicab never increased its speed. We crept across Paris just as slowly as we had come, until at last we pulled up before the entrance of the hotel.
7: Voila, mademoiselle!
8: I jumped out of the cab, and then I saw the sign over the hotel entrance. It said, Hotel Ritz. Uh, driver, you, you've taken me to the wrong hotel. I'm staying at the Grand Hotel Universal.
7: Ben, non, mademoiselle. Je vous ai ramassé au Ritz, et je vous ramènerai au Ritz. Et il y a 25 francs, cinquante au compteur. Uh, et j'aimerais ses <sighs> immédiatement, en oh, plus le pourboire. Please,
8: I, I don't understand what you're saying, but... I want you to take me to the Grand Hotel Universal. Et
7: c'est ici que je vous ai pris en charge, et c'est ici que je vous ramène. Et maintenant, c'est mon heure d'aller dîner. Donc, si vous aurez l'obligeance de me payer... Oh, et... you
8: stupid, stupid man. Can't you understand my mother is ill? You've taken more than two hours to get me to that doctor's house and back. Can't you understand my mother is sick, perhaps dying?
7: Mademoiselle, vos problèmes ne me regardent pas. Donc...
8: I looked around me, a small group of passers-by had stopped and were listening curiously to the argument, and then they joined in, taking sides. Everywhere I looked were foreign faces, strangers, enemies, and then, shouldering through the crowd, I saw the bareheaded young man in tweeds, with a pipe plant in his teeth. And before he had a chance to speak, I knew that help had Are you come.
9: Are having some trouble?
8: Oh, thank heaven, an Englishman.
9: Yes, that's right. Now, what seems to be the matter?
8: I told him rapidly as I could. And he paid the mulish cab driver. Yes. Popped me into another cab, and five minutes later, we walked into the lobby of the Grand Hotel Universelle. The manager was behind the desk. Uh, please, my mother... Is she all right? Mm, I beg your
10: pardon. My
8: mother, Mrs. Winship, in 342. Is she all right?
10: There is no Madame Winship in 342. What? 342 is occupied by Monsieur Auguste Noir, a permanent guest. Oh,
8: please, don't you remember me? I'm Cynthia Winship... Two hours ago, you put me into a taxi to go to the doctor's house for some medicine for my mother.
10: No, oh, I'm afraid Mademoiselle is mistaken. I have never seen her before in my life. Oh, well, now, look here.
8: What is this? No, listen, I swear to you, it is as I say. We signed the register less than three hours ago. We got in on a train from Marseille. Well, now, let's have a look at the register. Oh, yes, yes. I'll show you. I'm in 342. Where is the register? It is here, Mademoiselle.
10: You may see for yourself. See, today's date. Fourteen guests registered, but I don't see any Mademoiselle or Madame Winship. Do you? But...
8: But... This is is monstrous. It's impossible. My mother is somewhere in this hotel. What have you done with her?
4: What have you done with her?
9: Now, how do you feel, Miss Winship?
8: Better, thank you. The... Soup was very nourishing.
9: Well, will want to have something else? A salad or a bit of uh, roast? No,
8: no, thank you. Just a, a cup of tea, perhaps.
9: Why, well, yes, certainly. Garçon. Monsieur. tasse a thé pour mademoiselle. Tout de suite, monsieur.
8: I... I don't know how to thank you, Mr... Do you realize I, I don't even know your name?
9: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's Bruce. Bruce Stanley.
8: I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Stanley.
9: Well, it's a pleasure, Miss Winship.
8: Mr. Stanley... You believe me, don't you?
9: Of course I
8: do, Miss Winship. We did register at that hotel. We were in room 342. Why, uh, I can even describe the furnishings. There was a big window that went from the, the ceiling to the floor.
9: Um, Every hotel room in Paris has windows like that, Miss Winship. Oh, they do? Yes.
8: Oh. Well, in this room, the draperies were plum-coloured... And there was a, a marble top table, black marble it was, and a, a gilt clock. It had run down. The hand stopped, I remember, it at 20 minutes past three. The walls were covered in, in rose brocade, and the bedspread was a washed-out yellow. Oh, if I could only get into that room, you'd see that I'm not making this up.
9: No, I, I'm sure that you're not. And and perhaps I can find a way to make them let you in the room.
8: You
10: can.
9: Yes. You well, see, I'm with the embassy, you know. uh, under-secretary sort of thing. I believe that the British Empire has enough influence to change the mind of an obstinate Paris innkeeper. Well,
8: then let's do it right away.
9: Well, I'm afraid the might of Britain can't move that fast. It's past dinner time. But tomorrow we shall see.
8: Tomorrow? Oh, but I, I must get in that room tonight. I have no money
9: and no way to sleep. Well, we can do nothing with the people at the hotel. Uh, you, you saw that. Uh, we, we'll just have to be patient until tomorrow. And I'm sure that I can find a room for you tonight in a pension near the embassy.
8: You're, you're so very kind. How can I ever thank you, Mr. Stanley?
9: Uh, you uh, you might begin by calling me Bruce.
8: Thank you, Bruce.
9: Thank you, Cynthia. Oh, oh! Well, what is it? I
8: have just thought of something. The doctor. The doctor? Yes, the, the one the hotel manager brought in to look after Mother. I still have his address somewhere here in my bag. Uh, just a minute. Yes, here it is. Oh, we must go there immediately. He, he can tell us about mother.
9: Hmm, Twenty-four bis Rue Valdecas. Well, it's not far. That's just off the Boulevard Raspail. It's near the Guermont Montparnasse. Well,
8: how long would it take to get there by taxi? Oh, about ten minutes. But it took over an hour this afternoon. <laughs>
10: Voila, monsieur. 24 bis, rue Valgras.
9: Well, here we are. Yes.
10: Yes, this this
8: is the place.
9: Uh, attendez une minute.
8: D'accord. Hmm. The house is dark.
9: Yes, well, it's, it's quite late.
8: Well, I don't care. We've got to find out tonight. Qui <laughs> est oh, Where is he?
9: Oh, he's uh, there, at the upstairs window. Hmm. Ah, monsieur le docteur, c'est mademoiselle Winship. Elle veut vous questionner de sa mère. Je
8: connais pas de mademoiselle Winship.
9: He says he doesn't know you.
8: But he must, he, he must. Doctor, don't you remember? This afternoon, you, you, you sent me here to your house for medicine for, for my mother. Comprends pas l'anglais. And
9: he says he doesn't understand English. The liar,
8: the liar, he does. He speaks perfect English. Ah, jeune ami, je vous
11: conseille de me pas déranger le sommet des gens respectables. Et de vous en aller avant que je appelle la police.
9: Oh, I'm sorry, Cynthia.
8: Oh, Bruce. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? If it hadn't been for Bruce, I'm certain I should have gone out of my mind that dreadful night. He found a room for me at the pension near the embassy, where I spent a sleepless night. I tossed and turned and worried myself in an agony almost beyond endurance. Where was my mother... What had they done with her? Bruce called for me at half-past ten the next morning and took me back to the hotel. To my surprise, the attitude of the manager had changed completely.
10: But of course, Mademoiselle may inspect room 342. We are only too glad to convince Mademoiselle that her mother is not and never was in the Grand Hotel Universal.
8: Why, I never... I
10: personally will escort you to the room. This way, please, to the ascenseur.
8: Oh, Bruce. That terrible man. That horrible, horrible. Now, m- uh,
10: Cynthia, don't let him upset you. Monsieur. Troisième, Troisième étage.
9: Troisième, monsieur.
8: Now, Bruce, remember. What I told you last night, you'll see plum colored draperies, black marble top table, rose walls, and a gilt clock with hands stopped at twenty minutes past three. You'll see. Here,
10: Cynthia. Voila. Troisième. This way. Mm-hmm. It was room 342 you wish to see, mademoiselle.
8: Yes, that's right. Third door to the right.
10: So, here we are.
8: Oh, you see, Bruce, I, I know where it is.
10: Yes, my dear. Voila. Enter, please.
8: Now, Bruce, now you'll see the yellow bedspread. And...
10: Oh. Not quite the room you just described in the elevator, mademoiselle. The drapes are royal
4: blue.
10: Oh. A hey, little dusty, I fear. I must have this room renovated. There uh, is no marble top table. No. <laughs> the clock, as you notice, is running. No. Ah, and right on time, it seems. The walls are not rose brocade, but yellow flower no. wallpaper. Now, my dear mademoiselle, you see how thoroughly mistaken. No. No.
8: They had tried to make me think I was mad. They succeeded. I remembered nothing until I awoke in my aunt's house in England two weeks later. Thanks to Bruce, who never left my side during those terrible days when my sanity hung in the balance. Well, Alice, that's the story. And that's why I've never been able to talk to you about your grandmother Winship. Oh, Mother, how horrible. Because all these years, I've clung to the foolish hope that somehow she'd come back and tell us herself what happened. You poor
4: dear.
9: You may as well dispel that hope forever, Cynthia. What? Well, since you've at last brought yourself to discuss your mother's disappearance, I I think it's time you knew the true facts. Bruce! Your mother died 20 minutes after you left the hotel on that fool's errand with the doctor. Oh, no. She, she died of the bubonic plague. She'd caught it in India before she sailed. The doctor recognized the symptoms the moment he examined her. He told the hotel manager in French, in your presence. They agreed that the matter must be kept completely secret. If the news leaked out that there was a case of plague in Paris, the city would have been emptied of visitors and the exposition would have been a failure. Oh, Uh, The conspiracy of silence began in the hotel. The bellboy was paid to claim he never saw you. The taxi driver was paid to take you to the doctor's house by the most roundabout route. The note to the doctor's wife advised her to detain you as long as she could. And the taxi driver added his own imaginative touch by returning you to the Ritz instead of the Universelle. I shudder to think what might have happened if I hadn't come through the Place Vendôme just then.
8: But you didn't know.
9: Not then.
8: When... Did you find out?
9: The next morning. By then, the conspiracy had grown to international proportions. The embassy had been advised. If if the exposition was a failure, the franc would fall and the pound sterling would be affected, that that sort of thing. I knew when we went back to the hotel, you would not find your plum drapes and rose-colored walls and black marble-topped tables.
8: And you let me go through with that? What
9: could I do, Cynthia? I was acting under orders... I knew that the hotel had completely fumigated and redecorated the room overnight, and everything was in readiness to repudiate your story. I had to let the last act of that dreadful farce play to its dreadful end.
8: What did they do with mother?
9: Her body was removed from the room less than 30 minutes after you left it and immediately burned.
8: Mm. Why? Why didn't you tell me years ago? Why did you let me go on all this time?
9: This is the first time that you have ever mentioned your mother since then, my dear.
8: Alice? Yes, Mother? Uh, there's a, a new issue of the Tatler in the library. Wouldn't you like to look at it? But, Mother, I no want dear. to know about... dear, there's a good girl. I want to have a... Talk with your father.
2: Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented The Vanishing Lady by Alexander Woolcott, freely adapted for radio by Mr. Robeson. Featured in the cast were Joan Banks as Cynthia, Ben Wright as Bruce, Anthony Ross as the doctor, and John Hoyt as the hotel manager. Also heard were Irene Tedrow, Ramsey Hill, Nan Boardman, Daphne O'Callaghan, and Paul Freese. Special music was composed and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week.
6: You are in command of an English destroyer sailing to join the North Sea Patrol... In October 1914, when destiny forces you to become the
2: man who won the war. Next week, we escape with one of the classic stories of the First World War. Robert Buckner's famous and unforgettable tale, The Man Who Won the War. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when once again we offer you... Escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape, one week followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.